All right, Jabosei, good morning. Let us begin. I want to thank our sponsors for this morning. Sure, to thank our Tamatora sponsors for the month of Adar. Paul and Kathy Pollock for dedicating all the Shirman Drushos this month in memory of Paul's grandparents, Dina Bas Pesach, Zechariah Ben Zechariah. To thank our Dafyomi sponsors, Maishin Chavi Abramson for dedicating Arve Psachim in this Chusavar of Shlema for Daniel Meir Ben Chana. We hope that on the merit of our Tamatora, he together with Kol Chole Yisrael will have a complete and enduring Rafuah. With that, let us begin. Another beautiful daf ahead of us today. Today's daf is Kufches 108. We're going to begin to get really into some of the halachos concerning the Seder, which are quite amazing. So we're picking up on Kufzai number days 107b. Uh, four lines are from the bottom. Rava. So let's say, so remember again, yesterday we, we, were, we were discussing the idea, or continuing the discussion, of the Mishnah that says you're not supposed to eat Samach Lamincha. So we established in yesterday's draft that Samach Lamincha means Samach Lamincha Kitana. So again, a half hour before Mincha Kitana, which again, in our perfect day, with sunrise at six and sunset as, at six, Mincha Kitana being nine and a half hours into the day, at 3.30 p.m., Samach Lamincha ultimately again will be at 3 p.m. So the Gemara says as follows. So again, we don't eat, therefore again, Samach Lamincha Kitana. However, we saw in the end of yesterday's daf, which is that Halacha Lamaisa, not eating means foods which would satiate. So again, the Gemara seems to really identify that as grain-based food. But to go ahead and eat, for example, the Gemara said fruits, vegetables, meat, uh, kishka, right, intestines. So all of that is going to be fine. So along those same lines, Rava, Havashasi Chamri Kuli Mali Yom Pesach. This is interesting. Rava drank wine the entire era of Pesach. Why? Because apparently, again, when you drink wine, wine makes you hungry. See, he would drink, he would drink a good amount of wine on Arab Pesach in order to go ahead and intensify his hunger. So we'll say, what's interesting about this is as follows. Ultimately, again, we see a transition. So we go now from a discussion regarding not eating things, right, in order to not become satiated, to now, again, an interesting shift over here to focusing a bit more on eating even certain things in order to go and intensify one's appetite. So the Gemara says, Amarava, by the way, from where do we know? From where do we know that wine increases one's appetite? Suppose so this is incredible. I just want to point out something truly beautiful that the Gemara does. An incredible, like hashkafa. You know, when the Gemara says, "How do you know that wine intensifies your appetite?" So it was like, "What a strange question, right? How do I know that wine intensifies my appetite?" What's the answer? What's the answer? Try it, right? Try it. So you have to understand something. For the Jew, the way I know that anything is true is because it says it in the Torah. In other words, my truth, my truth, what is objectively true in this world doesn't come from my perception. It doesn't come from what I perceive in the world to be true. It ultimately comes from Torah. It comes from Chumash. It comes from Mishnah. It comes from Gemara. It comes from Jorah. And this is incredibly powerful because remember... Everything in life depends on where your truth comes from, right? If your truth comes from what you feel, or if your truth comes from what you perceive, in other words, if, your, if truth is rooted in your perception, that's a very dangerous thing. Because then there's no such thing as immutable truth. 
That means what you feel today will govern your truth for today. And what you feel tomorrow will, will, will govern your truth for tomorrow. And the isms of today will dictate this. And the isms of tomorrow will dictate that. When truth is not rooted in something objectively immalleable, then at the end of the day, truth changes. This is one of the most powerful lessons that Chazal teach us. How do I know that wine intensifies hunger? I'll tell you how. It's a brysa. <laughs> it's a brysa. Because that's how the Jew knows truth. You want to know where my truth comes from? My truth comes from a brysa. My truth comes from a mishnah. My truth comes from a pasik in Chumash. That's where MS comes from. So the Gemara goes right there. Where do I know that wine intensifies hunger? This none. I both say this is actually going to be a very interesting discussion that we're going to get to next week. Benakosos halalu. I both say drinking between the arbakosos. This is very important halacha. Drinking, oh, drinking wine in between the arbakosos. Can you drink additional wine? So between the cups of wine, I both say as we're going to see specifically, this is referring to between cups one and two and between cups two and three. Again, this is going to be a sugi. You'll see it's referenced. references it on Kofiud Zayin, 117. So we'll get to it. But again, what's the halacha regarding drinking in between cups one and two and cups two and three? So remember again, just to give us context, between cups one and two, between cups one and two is the first part of the Seder, right? Between cup two, well, first, what, pretty much one and two, and two and three are the first part of the Seder. So, If you want to drink between one and two and two and three, you can. But between two and three, excuse me, between three and four, you are not permitted to go ahead and drink. So I will say, again, that's going to get into, if you look at the Rashbam, the Rashbam says, Remember, cup number three is benching, is the cup for benching. So this is very interesting. We're going to see that apparently drinking between three and four, and of course drinking after four, has the appearance of adding on to the four cups. Now why that concern applies between three and four and after four, not between one and two and two and three, we'll discuss in the Gemara. The Amrit. Now if Halach if you were to say, Misad Soid, that wine satiates, then Amayishteh, then why are you allowed to drink extra wine between one and two and two and three? Also remember again, between one and two and two and three is before what? Is before what? Before matzah. Say, so if you say that wine has the ability to satiate, then why would you be allowed to drink additional wine between one and two and two and three? After all, haka'achil lematzah achilagasa. Because again, if wine satiates, then you're going to end up being too full by the time you get to the matzah. And it's going to be achilagasa. But rather, what do you see from here? You see from here that wine, in fact, intensifies one's appetite. So the fact that I'm allowed to drink more wine between one and two and two and three, which again, I will say, are the cups that take me up through Birkas Amazon, indicates that the property of wine is that it intensifies one's hunger. So I will say, incredible. That's how I know that wine intensifies one's hunger. Pretty incredible. Rav Sheshes. Rav Sheshes would go ahead and fast the entire era of Pesach. So I'll say this is actually quite fascinating. So the Gemara says, why? So maybe Rav Sheshes held the following. Maybe Rav Sheshes held that when the Mishnah said you can't eat on Erev Pesach, 
Samoch Lamincha means Samoch Lamincha Gidola. Which Abosai means on our perfect day from 6 to 6. Samach Lamincha Gidola means when? 12 o'clock. Now watch this. Not only that, but what else did Rav Sheshas hold? Umishum Pischohu Dilma Mimshach Vaasilim Nuyemile Avet Pischoh. Well, so remember again in yesterday's daf, we had, we had two issues or two, two possibilities as to why you're not allowed to eat Samoch Lamincha. Possibility one, if you hold the Samoch Lamincha means, let's work backwards. If you hold Samoch Lamincha means Mincha Kitano, then why can't you eat Samoch Lamincha? What was the reason? What was the reason? In order to eat matzah with proper tiyavon, with, with more, with more appetite. But if you hold Samoch Lamincha means Mincha Gidola, then what's the reason you can't eat Samoch Lamincha? Out of a concern that you may become derelict in, you may be derelict in offering up the current Pesach. So watch this. So now we have a fact. The fact is Rav Sheish has fasted, Rav Sheish has fasted on Erev Pesach. On Erev Pesach. So we're trying to figure out why that is. So the Gemara says, well, perhaps, perhaps, Halacha he held, Samoch Lamincha meant Mincha Gidola. And therefore, the reason you have to stop eating is lest you become derelict in offering up the carbon Pesach. Now watch this. The Gemara says, V'savarla, and maybe we'll say, this is pretty wild. We've never seen this before. V'savarla, well, actually, I shouldn't say that. We saw that in the last cycle of Dafyomi. V'savarla, k'yadran abiyoshia am Rabbi Lazar. So we'll say, maybe he held like, the following statement of Rabbi Oshia named Rabbi Lazar. Machshir haya ben beseira be Pesach sheshachtu shachris ba'arba'asar lishmo. So we'll say, listen to this. Ben Becerra holds, we'll say, this is wild. This is wild. Ben Becerra holds that Allah Chalamaisa, a carbon Pesach, which was offered up in the morning on Erev Pesach, is kosher. Is kosher. Why? So the Gemara says, because he holds mitzafra zman pischahu, dechule yom achazi lepischah. Ben Becerra holds that Allah Chalamaisa, the entire day of Erev Pesach, is fit for, is fit for carbon Pesach sacrifice. But it's a wild cheetah, a wild cheetah. Forget about chatzos, the entire day of Erev Pesach is fit to offer up the carbon. Where does he get this from? This is incredible. The savar, bein ha'arbayim, bein Erev de'esmo, le'erev da'idna. It was an, an incredible interpretation. He held, bein ha'arbayim, bein ha'arbayim, right? You have to offer up the Pesach, bein ha'arbayim. So I'll say, we normally understand, bein ha'arbayim means what? In the afternoon, in the afternoon. Ben Becerra felt Ben Arbayim means in between the two evenings. In between the two evenings. What are the two evenings? Evening number one is the start of Erev Pesach. And evening number two is Pesach itself. You have to offer up the Karbesach. Obviously, that doesn't include the nighttime. Because that's obvious. Why is that obvious? Because Karbanos are never offered up at night. But, but so I'll say, a really incredible, and again, I just want to point out this Gemara, this, this statement of Ben Becerra is not in Psachim. The, the statement of Ben Becerra ultimately is quoted in Meseches Zvachim. So this, this is really, so this is really quite an interesting opinion. So I'll say, so again, just, just, just to hold a couple of years. So what the Gemara is suggesting is, we have Rav Sheshis fasting on Erev Pesach. Maybe Rav Sheshis understands the whole reason the Mishnah says, you can't eat Samoch Lamincha is why? Lest you be derelict in in offering up the carbon Pesach. And maybe Rav Sheshis holds like Ben Becerra, who holds that Allah Chalamaisi, you could offer up the carbon Pesach the entire day of Erev Pesach. If that's the case, then it's possible Rav Sheshis held, you can't eat all of Erev Pesach lest you go ahead and forget to offer up the carbon itself. 
To which the Gemara says, no. Omri, lo. No, actually, that's not the reason. Shana Rav Sheshes. Rav Sheshes was different. Why did Rav Sheshes fast? The Istinis Hava. He was fastidious. Right? He was very sensitive. A Mifunak. was very sensitive and I guess had a very small appetite. And if he would eat something in the morning, he would not be hungry in the evening. Therefore, again, he fasted on Erev Pesach in order to be able to eat the matzah bite avon with a proper appetite. Nothing to do with the position of Ben Becerra, nothing was it, which is also quite a fascinating idea. Sometimes, you know, you see someone do something and we often ascribe intentions to people's actions without really having any level of understanding. So is it an incredible? So Ben Becerra is fasting and look what the look at the initial assumption that you are like, oh, He's fasting because but he holds like Ben Beseira ultimately again that you could offer up the Quran Pesach the entire Erev Pesach. And therefore again you can't eat lest you be dropped enough from the Quran Pesach and therefore he doesn't eat the whole day. No. He actually had a very just a very small appetite. Was, that's all. It was just a very small appetite. If he ate a little bit in the morning you wouldn't eat in the evening so he fasted the whole day. It was an incredible Musar how we have to be so careful to reserve judgment on things because often we see a circumstance we see a situation, we see a person do something, and we assume we've got it all sized up. I've got this all figured out, when in fact we don't. When in fact we don't, and often we can be terribly wrong about people, terribly wrong about circumstances, with terrible, with, with terrible repercussions as well. How much we have to reserve judgment until we have all the necessary information. Even then, better not to, um, not to judge. But at least wait till you have all the information. Good about this. The Mishnah went weiter. Even an ani, a pauper, should not eat the seder. Should not eat carbon Pesach. Should not go ahead and eat matzah until he reclines. So I'll say this actually is very important. We're gonna we're gonna speak a little about a little bit about haseba now. So understand that the point of haseba is the point of reclining is to be a physical, a physical form, an, an objective, physical demonstration of cheros, of freedom, of freedom. So meaning on Pesach, not only is the mandate of Chayev Adam Lirosis Aswak not only is the is the mandate to see myself physically free, but the mandate is to demonstrate that freedom in an objectively visible fashion as well. So the act of reclining is the way in which I physically demonstrate that sense of cheirus. The Gemara's novelty is that even the ani has to go ahead and recline, which of course tells me that what? That the cheirus of Pesach is not a manifestation of my personalistic circumstances, but rather again, the cheirus of the night of the Seder is an objective demonstration of my inherent freedom, almost independent and divorced from my personal circumstances. So itmar, so let's analyze. This is really incredible. Itmar, So the Gemara says, you have to recline when eating matzah, but you don't recline when eating marr. So we'll say, look at the Rashbam, matzah tzricha haseba, kisha uchel matzah shal mitzvah, laila rishon, kibbenei chorin, shu zecher le'geula. 
So we'll say this, this goes back, this goes back already to the beginning of the parak when we spoke about the interesting concept of matzah, right? Is matzah ultimately again the bread of affliction, halach ma'anya, or is matzah the bread of freedom? See here the Rashbam says that ultimately again, what the Gemara says, when we eat matzah, we recline, we recline, because ultimately again, it's zechel l'geula. Zechel l'geula, the consumption of matzah, is to remember the fact that we were redeemed. This is going to be incredibly important as we go weiter. So therefore, I recline when I eat matzah, but I don't recline when I eat murr. Why not? Rashbam says, because murr is zecher la'avdos. Ultimately, again, is to remember the slavery. So we'll say there's a very important paradigm in the Seder. So pretty much what the Gemara is setting up is, anything you do or anything you consume over the course of the Seder, that is zecher l'cherus, requires heseba, requires reclining. Anything you do in the course of the Seder, ultimately again, that is zecher la'avdus, ultimately again, you don't consume reclining. Yain, what about wine? Se'itmar m'shayd rab nachman tzarech haseba. Ve'itmar m'shayd rab nachman in tzarech haseba. So we'll say very interesting when it comes to wine. So we have two conflicting versions of what Rav Nachman said. One version said that according to Rav Nachman said it requires, it requires reclining. And the other opinion of Nachman said it doesn't require reclining for low pligi. And the truth is they're not contradicting each other. Watch this. They're referring to the two different cups, right? One is a statement regarding the first two cups. One is a statement referring to the second two cups. They both say that's fine, except the only problem is what? Which one is which? Right? Which one is which? So, okay, so very nice. And now I know two cups require reclining. Two cups don't require reclining. So which two require, which two don't require? So this is incredible. So we'll say, now there's a machlokes on which two require reclining and which two don't require reclining. Watch this. So the one opinion says, The first opinion says, it's the first two cups of wine which require heseba. Why are both saying? Because over the first two cups of wine is when the narrative of freedom unfolds. Remember again, the first cup of wine is Kiddush. The second cup of wine is Magid. Is Magid. That's the whole story of our, of our emancipation from, from inside. Also remember again, the bracha that we recite, we're going to see this inside, but the bracha that we recite over that cup is the, the second bracha, the, the second cup is Asher Ga'alanu. We recite the fact that Hashem Baruch Hu redeemed us. So therefore the first opinion says the first two cups, the first two cups ultimately again go ahead and reflect our cheiros, our newfound freedom, and therefore they get, therefore they get Haseba. However, both say this is incredible. Treikasi basrai, loba Haseba. But the second two cups don't require a seba. Listen to this. This is great. The Yamara says, because my dahava hava, what happens, happens. Or as I will say, this is great. Now, 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 what does this mean? Right? By the time we get to the second two cups, so our redemption from its tribe, old news, old news. My dahava hava. Now, both say, now, the truth is, remember, the Seder shifts, right? The Seder has two parts. The first part of the Seder is focused on Yutias Mizraim. The second part of the Seder is focused on. Messianic redemption, right? So what the Gemara says is the concept of chirus, the concept of chirus ultimately again is focused on, or is focused on the first two cups which focus on Yitzias Mitzrayim. 
the second two cups, which focus more on messianic redemption, future redemption. So again, there, there's no, there, there's no reclining there. The way the Gemara phrases it is, my dahava hava. We spoke about Yitzhak Hashem. We spoke about Chayrus. We're done with that. Therefore, no reclining by the second. They're both saying, now look, take a look at, take a look at Rashi for just the moment. Rashbam, sorry. So the Rashbam says, mm-hmm. Um, so let, before we get, actually, take a look at Tosis. Take a look at Tosis. My dahava So Tosis says, mm-hmm. So we'll say this is very interesting. So Tosis just points out. Why don't we say the same thing by matzah? Because think about this just a moment. When do you eat matzah? When do you eat matzah? Technically, after maggit. Right? Remember again, I'm not going to sing for you this money has either. But you understand that again, motzi matzah comes after maggit. So what, so we'll say the Gemara is now suggesting is you only have to, you only have to go ahead and recline for the first two cups, not for the second two cups, because the first two are speaking about gulas, the time of redemption from Egypt. And once you get to the second two cups, my dahava hava, you know, the, the Egyptian narrative or the gula narrative is in the past. So I want to say the same thing by matzah. So Tosas gives two answers. He says, ultimately, again, matzah is different because matzah is the entire ikr of the seder. Everything is about matzah. Therefore, even though technically speaking, matzah is being consumed after magid is finished, Nevertheless, matzah still requires a seba. Va'od sheksuva b'torah zeicher lecherus shelo hispik b'tzeikam lahachmetz ad shenigalu. So we'll say this is incredible. Tosis. Furthermore, again, Tosis says that matzah itself is the bread of geula. It is the bread of redemption. Why is it the bread of redemption? Because again, it represents the idea that we left Egypt with such haste that the dough didn't have time to rise. Va'afal gav dahava dahavya lechem oni. Yeshla Ochla Derech Cheros. This is an incredible formulation which we're going to come back to. Tosa says, Matzah is Lechem Oni, which is consumed Derech Cheros. What, what a profound formulation. Matzah is the bread of affliction, which is consumed as a free man. The bread of affliction, which is consumed in the manner of emancipation. It's an incredible formulation because we're so, we're often so consumed by this machlokis in the identity or this duality in the identity of matzah, right? What is matzah? The Ramban brings down that they ate matzah in when they were slaves. We ate matzah for 210 years. Why did you eat matzah? Because Ramban says, you know what the great part of matzah is? Great part of matzah is, well, for, from, a, from a master's perspective, is it's cheap. I, mean, I don't mean I'm sure I'm matzah, right? It's, it's cheap, it's filling, and it sits in your system for prolonged periods of time, as we know well, right? So therefore, again, it's the most incredible food for a slave population. Tosa says, matzah is lechem oni. There's no question about it. The fact that we ate matzah again when we left Egypt, we'll say, here's something amazing. The fact that we left matzah when we left Egypt, that was quote-unquote, I'm going to use this word, although you know it's not true, that was an accident. That was, a circumstance, that was just a circumstance which arose because of the expedited pace of redemption. But ultimately, again, that was just because he left so quickly, the bread didn't have time, that we would have, we would have rather had challah. We ate matzah for 210 years. So Tosa says, so what's the difference between the matzah we ate when we left Egypt and the matzah we ate ultimately in Egypt for 210 years? Here's the difference. The matzah in Egypt was lechem oni, 
eaten, consumed bederech oni. The matzah of Pesach was lechem oni, consumed derech cheros. We both say such a profound distinction. It could be the same bread. It's the same lechem oni. But for 210 years, it was consumed derech oni. And then when we left Mitzrayim, it was consumed derech cheros. So therefore, both say, Coming back over here, this is not matzah. We're going to get to this later. It's a very, very exciting tosis. They will say these, these little pieces are so necessary to help formulate our hashkafic understanding of what it is that we're trying to accomplish over the course of the Seder. In any event, back to the Gemara. So the Gemara said, now four cups. According to this approach, two that we recline for, two that we don't recline for. First two, so the, according to this first approach, we recline for the first two because the first two is when we discuss the redemption from Egypt. The second two, the Gemara says, my dahava hava. What's done is done. But it also tells you an incredible, an incredible lesson. Well, it's an incredible lesson that some, you have to make sure in life not to just simply rely or to reflect on your accomplishments of the past. So it's good, it's good to go ahead and relive the accomplishments of the past, and then you have to move on and accomplish something new. My dahava hava. In other words, we don't spend the entire night focusing on Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, which is pretty incredible, but rather, again, we spend the first two kosos on Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, second two kosos on Gulas Mitzrayim. Gulas Mitzrayim was great. What's next? What's next? How do we bring the next gula? There are people, again, who accomplish great things and spend the rest of their lives reflecting on those accomplishments. That's not the way the Jew lives. Accomplish great things, yes. Reflect on your accomplishments. Then you say the statement, my dahava hava. That was the past. Now my job is to put my co-hosts into building a beautiful future. An incredible gisa. Others have a different interpretation. We'll say second opinion says, no, you don't recline for the first two. You do recline for the second two. Why? Because the first two, the truth is, are very much focused on what? Reliving the servitude. So when you drink wine over the first part of the Seder, you don't recline because avadim hayinu, right? Avadim hayinu, that is the essence of the first part of the Seder. You do recline for the second two cups because, again, although they're focused on messianic redemption, there is no discussion regarding the servitude. The Gemara so says, you know, which one is this? So what do we recline for? This is great. So the Gemara says, Hashta de itmar hachi itmar hachi to which the Gemara says, you're right, but now that we're focusing on this idea, now that there are different of opinions, what do we do? We recline for all four cups. And I will say that indeed is halacha We do a seva for all four cups. I just want to point out something very interesting, that you see that we do a seva for all four cups, not because anyone is suggesting that all four cups actually require a seva. This is very interesting. But rather why? Rather why? Because halacha lamaisa, there's a machlokas. And just in order to, and, and again, by the way, it's a pretty solid machlokas. The svaras work very beautifully on both sides. The svaras for the first two, the svaras for the last two. So the gemara says, now that you have a machlokas, we just recline for all four cups. Pretty incredible. So the gemara goes right there. We'll say, now, let's speak a little bit about the mechanics of, of Heseba. So, Prakton, Loshma Heseba. We'll say, what's Prakton? If you take a look at the first wide line of the Rashbam, Panav Klapi, Malav Shochi, Valachoros. So, we'll say, this literally, this is an extreme Heseba, uh, laying down on your back, right? Let's say again, you're right, you bring the couch over to the table, you lay down on your back. 
The Gemara says, that's not called Haseba. That's not called Haseba. So the Gemara says, now again, the, 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 similarly again, Haseba, Haseba, leaning on your right side is also not called Haseba. So Haseba means only leaning to the left, not laying on your back, not laying on your right side. Furthermore, we'll say, leaning to your right, Poses a choking hazard. So, so does so does leaning on your back, right? So again, the Rashi points this out as well. So we'll say. So bottom line is, Haseba is a very specific type of leaning. It's a leaning to the left, which ultimately, again, for us, for us during the seder, it's often a very awkward way to eat and to drink. But clearly, again, Bismana Gimara, that was demonstrative of the way that quote unquote free people or our upper upper echelon of society would often eat. But again, therefore, anything that doesn't resemble that laying on your back, leading to the right, is not called Haseba. Isha Itzel Baila, supposing that's some interesting cases. What about a wife by her husband? Lo by Haseba. A wife in front of her husband does not have to do Haseba. Now, why not? Take a look at the Rashbam. Isha in Haseba, four lines up from the bottom, says the Rashbam. Mipne Emas Baila. Because of the reverence, right? Ema means fear, but it really means the reverence she has for her husband. Ukifufalo. And literally, she's subservient. I'm not stating an opinion. I'm just quoting a Rashbam. I just, I just want to be clear. Now, I want to just give you kind of the background to this Gemara. So the background to this Gemara is as follows. We just established that there's a din of Haseba. What we begin to see, what the Gemara is not going to highlight is, if you're having the Seder with someone who you have gira, for who you revere, right? Whether because you just revere them because of the nature of the relationship, or you revere them because halachically there's an obligation to do so, you don't do hasseb in front of that person. Because the act of doing hasseb in front of that person would be a slight to the covet of that individual. So the Gemara says, for example, a wife doesn't do hasseba in front of her husband. However, if she's an important woman. Now what does it mean if she's an important woman? Or if she's a woman of her own standing, independent of her husband, ultimately again, then she does require seba. So I'll say again, the post can bring down that all nashim are nashim chashuvos, right? Women have the status of important women, have identities of their own, and therefore, again, a woman does do haseba. A woman does do haseba. Now, again, we'll discuss another opinion when it comes to haseba in just a moment. Bain Eitzavav. So we'll say, I just want to point out, we'll see this, we'll see, well, we'll, we'll see this in a little bit later if we get to it today or maybe tomorrow, which is the opinion of the Rav Yoh. We're going to see the Rav Yoh hold that there is no din of haseba. The reason why there's no din of Haseba's Bible, say a very simple reason why. No one is that way. <laughs> so Rav Yoh says, Rav Yoh says, we're making people do something physically uncomfortable and to, to be demonstrative of freedom when no one eats that way. When the Gemara mandates a din of Haseba, the Gemara was mandating it because halacha lemaisa, that was, that was how free people ate. So we don't really accept this opinion of the Rav Yoh because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, um, the Gemara says we do a seba, so we do a seba. Interesting enough, the Rav Yoh says, the, 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 the Ramah says that Nashim women were somchos on the Rav Yoh, which is even today you'll find that many women don't do seba by the Seder, not because they're kafufos lebaalehen, and not because they're subservient to their husbands, but because somehow over the generations the men evolved 
that women don't do a seba. Of course, a woman can do a seba, a hundred percent. But again, if it happens to be in the minag in your family or the, or the practice in your family, women don't do a seba. Just know that that's based on the opinion of the ravio. Okay, we'll see it inside. So the gemara says, What about a son by his father? A son by his father, buy a seba requires a seba. So the gemara says, uh, yeah, if you take a look at Rashi, Rashi says, Ben Eitzel, I'm sorry, Rashbam. Rashbam says, Ben Eitzel, Aviv Sarach HaSeba, De Lo Havi Kafuf Kul Kol Kach. So also, this is very interesting, because a son is not really subservient to his father. As much as a son has an obligation of Kavid and Yira, ultimately, again, there's not that level of subservience, therefore a son will go ahead and do his say. I will say, there's a lot of lumdis in these sugyas as well, which you we don't have time to get into, but maybe we'll, we'll find an opportunity. What about a Talmud by his Rebbe? Let's say you're having Pesach Seder with your Rebbe. So what's Talok? Does a Talmud do a Seba in front of his Rebbe? So Toshma, uh, Toshma, Amra Baye, Kia Vinon Beymar, when we were at, when we were in the house of Mara Rebbe, Zaginon Abirche Dehadadi. Ultimately, again, we would lean against the knees of one another. So we'll say the way they would do a Seba, the Talmudim, is everybody would lean against their fellow. Kia Sinolabe Rabbi Yosef, when we came to the house of Rabbi Yosef, Amr Lani said to us, Lo Tzrichisu, you do not have to do a Seba. Why? Because the reverence you have for your Rebbe is like the reverence you should have for the Ribbono Shal Olam. Therefore, Yosef was telling them, a Talmud does not do, does not do Haseba in front of his Rebbe, because it will say it makes sense. Haseba is a more relaxed posture. So you cannot assume that posture in a place where you have to have enhanced reverence. The Brisa says, a person does Haseba, even a Talmud in front of his Rebbe. So we'll say, say here, so we just, it sounds like what we said before, based on Rabbi Yosef, that Allah Chalamaisa, a Talmud would not do Haseba in front of a Rebbe. Here the price says that a Talmud does do a Seba in front of his Rebbe. Rabbi says, great, he can't, he can't, when the price says over here that a Talmud does a Seba in front of his Rebbe, what, time of, what type of Talmud and Rebbe are we talking about? A carpenter's or a blacksmith's apprentice. So we'll say people have different type of Rebbe. I have a Rebbe, have a rebbe who teaches me Torah, and I have a Rebbe who teaches me Parnasa. Both are important Rebbeim. When we said before that Halacha Lamaisi, you don't do a Seba in front of a Rebbe, that's the Rebbe who teaches you Torah. When the Bryce says you do has saved in front of a Rebbe, that's the Rebbe who teaches you your trade, teaches you your parnosa. Iboilu shamishmai. What about a shamish? Right? So what about a waiter? Right? The servant. So let's say the guy's serving the meal. Jew, Jewish shamish, so he's going ahead and serving. Does the shamish do Haseba? So Tashma, Damri Shaman Levi, Hashamish Sha'achal Kizai's Masa Kishu Mesov, Yatsa. If the shamish is Kizai's Matsa when he's reclining, he's Yotse, Mesov in, Lo Mesov Lo Shmamina. Ultimately, again, what do you see from here? You see that the shamish has to go out and do and do a seba. Shmamina, buy a seba, shmamina. Even a shamish will say, now again, the truth is, it's not really a surprise. The reason the Gemara is asking is, what happens if there's someone on the Seder night who is functioning in the capacity of a servant, which is an interesting place to be on, on Seder nights. Here, I'm, I'm, a Jew, I'm a Jewish waiter. I'm a Jewish servant. So do I do a seba or not? Shabbos, so what's interesting about this is the following. I will say, isn't it Pashat? If the Ani is doing his Seba, 
then certainly again, the Shamish is, certainly Shamish is doing his seba, right? Again, so we'll say there's a big difference because the Ani could sit at the table and Halakha Lamai said there's nothing behaviorally that's happening that makes him look like a servant. The Shamish is actively running around on the Seder night serving everyone else. So perhaps for, for his seba purposes, the Shamish is even more compromised than the Ani. Kamash no. Kamash the concept of physically expressing Khairus on the Seder night is fundamentally divorced from your individual circumstances. That Allah said everyone is chayif in has seba, no matter what your personal circumstances are. The only exception to this seba rule is if you're having seder with someone whom you're obligated to revere, right? Who you have, who you have a concept of reverence towards, then the act of, of, of assuming such a relaxed posture in the presence of that person will be inappropriate. Good. Women are obligated in Dalit Kosos. Why? Amid Bey's. Sha'af Hina Yuba'osani. So we'll say this is great. Because ultimately, again, women were also included in the miracle of Yitzias Mitzrayim. So because, again, the four cups are an expression of gratitude for the, for the, for the, for the miracle of deliverance, so too women are obligated as well. Now, let's take a look at the Rashbam for just a moment. Rashbam writes, Shafin Yibosa, and Esther, Miribim Sechisota, Bishar Noshim Sidkani, Oshayuba Osadar, Nigalu, Vechin Gabi Mikra Megillah, Arminan Hachim Mushum, the Ali de Esther Hava, Vechin Gabi Hanukkah, Mesecha Shabbos, Lashon, Morena Alevi. So we'll say, the Rashbam points out something very interesting. The, so we'll say, the Lashon of Afhin Hayuba Osanis sounds like, they were also part of the miracle. The Rashbam says, no, what it means is that the miracle of Yitzhak Mitzrayim occurred because of women. He quotes over here, ultimately, the Gemara Masech Sota that goes through the entire narrative explaining how essentially the men had given up on the possibility of redemption. The men had given up, and it was the women, ultimately, again, who kept the dream and the desire for redemption alive. So the Rashbam says, doesn't simply mean they were included in the miracle, but rather it means they played a dominant role in the miracle. And the Rashbam says, the same idea that we find by Purim. The Gemara says, why women are chayavos and mikra megillah, why? They were included in the miracle. Now, of course, you know, by Purim, it's not, to say that women were included in the miracle of Osai is selling their role a bit short, right? A woman was the architect of the miracle of Purim. If you take a look at Tosis, the Tosis says, Hayuba Osahanis, second Tosis, Hayuba Osahanis, Rashbam, Perush Rashbam, Sha'al Yodam Nigalu, Vechim Megillah, De Esther, Bechanaka, De Yehudis, Vekasha, Da'af Mashma, She'inar Be'ikar. So we'll say, the Rashbam, so Tosis, Tosis sees Rashbam's explanation, and he says, the only problem with that is, Afhin Hayuba Osahanis, again, indicates a lushen of like being included, but not necessarily a lushen of primacy, of primacy. So yes, they were also included, but Lav Dafka, they were primary characters. Va'od, Yerushami Garis, Sha'af Hain Hayu Ba'osane, Safek Mashma Ba'osa, Sakarna Glashma Laraglabit, Ba'odan Yerbit Tiburus, Sakarna Okay, so Tulsa just points out over here, he says, Aval Ba'arba Kosos, so just pointing out over here that there's some, we don't have time for it now, but there's some interesting discussion regarding the, the definition of this phrase, does it mean they were also included or does it mean that they played a primary role? In any event, women are going to be obligated in Dalit Kosos. I'm ready to go Shmuel. Arba Kosos, Halalu, Sarak Shiyehei, Bohan Kedem, Mezigas, Kosyav. So we'll say some halachas regarding Dalit Kosos. Number one, 
they have to have proper dilution ratios. So, mostly, so just so you know, from the, from the Gemara's perspective, the proper dilution ratio was three parts water to one part wine. Right? You had wine concentrate, three parts water to one part wine. So you have to have proper dilution ratio. listen to this. What happens if you drink undiluted wine? What happens then? What's the So the Gemara says, Yatsa, you are Yotze. Now again, we'll discuss exactly what it is that you are Yotze, but Allah Khalamaisir you Yotze. Fine. Shtan Bhasakas. This is interesting. What happens if you drank the cu- four cups at once? Yatsa. Your Yotze, again, we'll discuss exactly what this means. It's interesting. The Rashbam says, if you look at Bavasachos, the Rashbam says, Ira arba'asan besoch kos echad. So the Rashbam says, what does it mean you drank them all at once? You poured all four cups into one cup. You made yourself like a Seder big gulp, right? So you went ahead and you poured everything in, into one. So interesting, the Rashbam says, Yotze, your Yotze. Trashbam then goes on and explains, quotes Rabbeinu Shlomo, who says, that, he says, that's the Perish Rabbeinu Shlomo. Trashbam says, that doesn't make any sense, because it was like, pouring four cups into one cup and drinking that cup is equivalent to what? Drinking one cup, just a very big cup. Therefore, the Rashbam says, Babas Achos means you drank all four cups consecutively, as opposed to drinking the four cups as arranged over the course of the Seder, you drank all four cups at once. So again, Yatsa. If you give to drink to the members of your family, you're Yotze. Okay, so we'll say, let's analyze this. Now we're going to go through this b'risa one by one. So the first thing the Gemara mentioned was you drank undiluted wine. So the b'risa says you're Yotze. Now what does that mean? Amar Rava, So Rava says, what does it mean that you're Yotze? Yedeyayin. You're Yotze the fact that you drank four cups of wine. However, you are not Yotze Yedechirus. Rajbam says Yedechirus lo Yotze. Kilomar, ein zum mitzvah shlema, shein chashivus ele biyayin mozik. So I just want to point out something very interesting over here. Because Rav is saying something dramatically amazing. That in the mitzvah of Dalit Kosos, in the mitzvah of Dalit Kosos, there are essentially two mitzvahs. There's Yayin and there's Chirus. Yayin means the concept of drinking four cups. Cherus means allowing those four cups to be a demonstration of your personalistic freedom. And interestingly enough, Rava says that you can actually divide those two. So for example, if you drink four cups of undiluted wine, have you fulfilled the mitzvah of Dalit Kosos? The answer is yes. But have you allowed those Kosos to be demonstrative of your freedom? And the answer is no. So we'll say, this is an, I just want to point out, this is an incredible Kiddush, of which there is an incredible amount of discussion, because it's not clear exactly how Rava is able to make that distinction. Now, the truth is, we'll say, there, there, there is a good reason for it. We'll discuss in just a bit. Um, all right, I probably should say it now, except that we don't have time. All right, you know, I'm going to save it. This goes back, to, just remind me of this tomorrow, Shir. This goes back, Rava will say, to why is that we drink Dalit Kosos? Why do we drink Dalit Kosos? So we're going to see that there's a fundamental machlokas as to what the nature or the source of the four cups of Pesach are. So right now, let's, let's absorb the information and then we'll go back and try to plug it in. Next, Shtan Achas, when you drink four cups at once, so Rava Amar Yideyayin Yatza, Yideyarbakosos Lo Yatza. So we'll say, so once again, Rav comes along, oh Rav, he over here says, Yoyotzi Yideyayin, I will say here, Yayin means something different. Yayin in this context, according to Rav, means Simchas Yamtiv. 
Simchas Yamtiv. If you go out and you drink four cups consecutively, you fulfilled the mitzvah. What's the mitzvah? To rejoice on Yamtiv. But you have not fulfilled the mitzvah of Dalit Kosos. I will say, what do you see from here? Why not? Ultimately, again, because the mitzvah of Dalit Kosos is not simply the consumption of four cups of wine. But rather, the mitzvah of Dalit Kosos is what? The consumption of four cups of wine throughout the Seder. So we'll say you're beginning to see a number of very interesting ideas. That first of all, again, number one by Dalit Kosos, there's a mitzvah of, there's a concept of Dalit Kosos, and there's a mitzvah, and there's a concept of Chirus. There's a mitzvah of Yayin, and a mitzvah of Chirus. Very interesting. Next, the mitzvah of Dalit Kosos is really only fulfilled when one drinks four cups strategically placed at four different intervals at the Seder. But if you go and you drink them all at once, your Yotzei De Yayin, which according to Rav means Simchas Yamtiv, but ultimately again, not Yotzei, the Din of Arbakosos. So if you give up the wine to drink to your children, to the members of your household, Yotza, your Yotzei, that's true. In other words, if you want to go ahead and share the remnants of your cup with the members of your family, you absolutely have the right to do so. But halacha lamaisa, you must drink rov kos. Well, this is incredibly important. This goes back, we saw this again already, back Suda as well. The individual making the bracha must go ahead and drink rov kos. Shabbos is very interesting. The Gemara says that Dalit Kosos that we discussed have to have a Revius. Have to have a Revius. So the Gemara says, I'm sorry. Sarak Sheibahan Kedei Revius Echad, I'm sorry, Echad Chai Ve Echad Mazug, Echad Chadash Ve Echad Yashan. So also it has to have a Revius, whether again it's undiluted, whether it's diluted, whether it's new wine, whether it's old wine. Rabbi Huda Omer, Sarak Sheibo Tam Umara Yayin. Rabbi Huda says it must have the taste and the appearance of wine. So both say, so now you say, Katani Mihas, Kadei Revius. So now the Bryce has said it has to have at least a Revius. Va'at Amrit Kos Yafeh. And you said before that it has to be a Kos Yafeh. So it sounds like a contradiction. To which the rest it's not a contradiction. Amri Idi Vi'idi Chachi Uruhu. In fact, it's one shear. So both say, so for example, if you were to take a quarter of a log of wine concentrate, if you then dilute that, divide that by four, dilute that in a dilution ratio of three to one, three parts water, one part, one part wine concentrate, that's what the Gemara calls a shear yafa or a kos yafa. We'll say ultimately again, what do we call mezigas kos yafa? What do we call proper dilution that ultimately again gives every gives everybody a proper cup of wine? A revius. You take a quarter log of wine concentrate, ultimately again dilute it in three parts water to one part wine concentrate. And that gives you a good cup of wine. Rabbi Huda Omer, Tam Rabbi Huda says, it's not just enough for wine to taste like wine, but ultimately, I'm sorry, in order for it to be wine, it must have Tam, the taste of wine, and Mare, the, the um, appearance of wine. Incredibly important. The Gemara says, Omer my time is Rabbi Huda. We'll say once again, where does Rabbi Huda get this from? Yayin Adam. Ultimately, again, the Gemara says, literally, the Pasek clearly references the idea that wine is red. So I so just want to point out over here, if you take a look at Tos, it's just one important halacha. So again, the Gemara gives us a lot of the halachos of Abba Kosos, but one of the interesting things that the Gemara said is that halacha lamaisa, 
is an aloha lamaisa dilution ratios, three parts water to one part wine concentrate, and also the idea that the shear for a cup of wine is a revius. Now, Tosis points out over here, see Tosis, Ruben de Casa, Hainu Kimali Lugmov, so we'll say one of the interesting, we're going to have to stop over here for today, but one of the interesting discussions that we are going to get into is how much of the coast do you have to drink? So we're going to see, is essentially we're going to see three different shiurim. Shiur number one is at least amali logmov, at least a cheekful. Shiur number two is going to be a rove revius, the majority of a revius. Shiur number three is going to be an entire revius. And shiur number four, which is really the most lechatchila thing to do is the entire cup, the entire cup. So again, we'll get into that in Meretz Hashem as we go a little bit weiter, but at least now we begin to see the halachic and conceptual framework of Dalekosos, Oseh Shkoyach.